Welcome to another episode of We Are HR by HR Partners. Um, I'm Anita Vaughan, GM for HR Partners for Victoria and South Australia. And with me today is Tim Gill from cat.com.au. He's the GM of People and Culture. Welcome, Tim. Thanks, Anita, for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your background before we launch into a couple of topics that we've got to talk about yeah. today? So I guess you could say I'm a career HR professional. I've been doing it for 21-ish years now. Um, started way back then at Commonwealth Bank. Um, was there for maybe five and a half, six years. Um, big, I guess you could call it a big HR factory, a very large-scale business, lots of different arms. Great way to kick off a career mm-hmm. I'm learning the basics I guess to sort of start from that um, from there I was very lucky and fortunate to go to Bunnings um, worked there for six years as well so did two big stints as a young person in their 20s which I think people would find incredible I only had two jobs um, sort of up until I was early 30s yeah that is yeah um, this next generation that's yeah. unusual <laughs> um, I mean both great employers so Bunnings was a fabulous period and, and that was it was interesting because I think Bunnings is so established in Australia now. I was there quite early in the piece of Bunnings. It was only three, four, five years old. So it was still very much in startup um, entrepreneurial phase, which was fun because it really made the role in HR very, um, you know, an awesome experience and mostly a lot of project work, OD work, that sort of stuff as well. So it was cool. Um, through the mergers with Coles and everything, there was a lot of changes. Um, I know we're talking off air, an opportunity sort of fell into my lap that was, you know, five minutes from home, um, something different. Um, That was in local government. Um, So sort of my first sort of real HR leadership role. And and, uh, look, to be honest, I think people sort of think local government's a brown cardigan, you're there for 45 years, you get a watch and leave. But I have to recommend that anyone listening um, I know there's thousands and thousands of people listening because it's such a great podcast but <laughs> nice plug. Thanks, I, I think that I'd highly recommend someone in their mid-20s that's really on a journey in their career to go and do some time if they can of course you don't want to leave a good job but mm. um, in, in public service or local mm. government what does it give you for you to become such an advocate of that because there is a perception in the market around should I be in public service or private industry and what would that do for my career moving between the two and can I transition back into um, private industry? How hard is that? What are the perceptions? So any of your insights around that would be really useful. Yeah, look, I think one of the things that I, I think I took out of the most is in private industry, things like unions, um, work safe, work cover, um, industrial relations in, and real employee relations through fair work and everything is, I wouldn't call it... Um, light on but it's it's usually a lot easier if that makes mm-hmm. sense so it's it's quite a, a pr- an easier process in private industry now and I'm not saying that I'm downplaying it by any stretch of the imagination I just mean that in public service it's very very different unions are very active you need to have the right consultation with the right people you need to go through various processes you know and, and yeah. like at, at catch which we'll talk about there is we did an enterprise agreement with our warehouse which is a huge warehouse and it was a process of three or four weeks long whereas in like government when I was there you know this is a good six month roadshow of of enterprise bargaining agreement down to every little minor detail and so I think you know you you sort of always learn things best by doing them a thousand times over and I think that sort of real traditional um, 
core HR general skills is going to be learnt really well in, in public service because it's just a different different kettle of fish compared to private enterprise. And, and I always look back and say that's probably one of the most the roles that I learnt the most out of. I, I, I mean, I was that was a good time enough time for me to be there, sort of just shy of three years. And but I learnt a lot, and it was um, an incredible experience for me personally. And I feel now, you know, going back to the enterprise agreement that that the pre- previous sort of processes I've been involved in, the people are paying sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars for a consultant to come in and help and I can proudly say at Catch we introduced a new enterprise agreement for seven hundred dollars, and that was the printing associated wow. with brochures oh. handing out in the warehouse to get a yes vote. So, wow. but that again, that doesn't come from me beating my own chest. It just comes from having had that experience of knowing this is exactly what we're going to do and the process to go through. So, you know, and I always laugh that I think the second week I was there, there was a, a pseudo strike out the front of the building with a union, and I sort of thought, well. You know, this is what you came here to learn. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's it was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and then um, an opportunity came up with a couple of businesses merged, made sort of a larger professional financial services business. Um, so that was it was sort of it grown from thirty to about one hundred and sixty overnight. Um, they sort of didn't have any HR practices or processes mm. at all, and it was, was a pretty the, the startup feel. The beginning yeah, of that yeah, point. yeah. Mm. A very long-standing business that sort of quickly changed mm. and. You know, it was it was really cool because you walked in and, and there was a blank canvas because they literally had nothing mm. really set of set in stone in HR and, and um, so it was great. Well, not nothing, but they had you know basic mm. stuff. So it was great to be able to be part of that and, and sort of start afresh and build some really good processes and, and teams. And I guess um, you know in that role, I was sort of lucky to divert a little bit of my skill set in that. Um, you know, I remember recommending that we should be setting up a marketing function and walking out of that board meeting with marketing report to me. So <laughs> that was good because, uh, you know, I think everybody enjoys marketing yeah, and so yeah. that was a bit of a that difference. That was a good experience. Yeah, for you. 100%. But yeah. um, again, same thing as great from HR perspective and the career-wise, it was, okay, you've learned 15 years of your life what to do. Now you're solely got to introduce it without having any sort of, predecessors or anything you know cultural history yeah. sort of sitting on the ground as well and it also keeps you very connected to from a HR perspective the customer yeah so that's right. thinking about marketing thinking about the customer is often we can be really focused on internal customers and our internal stakeholder groups rather than who the customer really is yeah so definitely definitely yeah and I think going now into the role at catch which is I've been there sort of nearly two and a half years and very dynamic energetic crazy environment um, <laughs> and you know, the customers at the forefront of every decision because that's our core business is, is customers and making sure customers get value in their purchases from our website and, and the like. So, you know, hopefully that translates into everything we do internally as well as externally, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, Catch has been sort of now, that's my current role, obviously, and been there for two and a half years and it's been a wonderful experience, that's awesome. for sure. Tell us a little bit about the size and shape of the catch.com.au yep. business to, to set some context for our listeners. So when I started, we obviously we had a couple of extra brands as well outside of Catch.com. So we had Scoop on, um, we had a couple other brands as well, which have sort of diverged out, out to other areas. Um, we've still got a little bit of Scoop on, but not a great deal. We don't have much to do with it anymore. Right. Um, so now as it is today, um, we've got about 450 people in the business. Um, we've got a head office of about 170 to 180, you know, that's your marketing, your tech, your buying functions, 
Uh, we have a huge in-house design team um, you know, that do the, the crazy banners you see on the website, the photos, the copy for all of the, the products and that sort of stuff as well. Obviously, HR, finance team, and the like, and, and sort of that's that's the core HR, uh, the core head, core headquarters sort of structure in the retail business or e-commerce. And then we have a huge warehouse um, out on the other side of the city in Truganina. Um, okay. We've got probably one of the most automated warehouses in the southern hemisphere. As as we've got a couple of crazy machines that have hundreds of robots that pick products, you wow. know, up to four or five thousand an hour in some instances and yeah. um, it's an incredible sight to sort of just mm. you know the first time I walked into the, the warehouse it was it was you know you think you know warehousing and then you sort of see it, it automated and it's very very different it's unbelievable yeah. so our warehouse is great and that, that provides a lot of um, you know challenges from a HR perspective because a very fluid workforce a lot of casuals um, some recent changes around casual employment laws sort of really sort of opened our eyes up to a few things there and um, you know the warehouse is, is definitely a place that's one of our main customers because at the end of the day if that's not running smoothly and efficiently then our customers don't get products so that's yeah. that's kind of what it comes down to as well but mm. um, yeah so that's I guess an overview of catch. Mm, that's really good context. Um, there'd be there would be questions from people around what is it like from a cultural perspective yeah. in a, a tech or e-commerce business what's it like i think when is it a google is it a <laughs> is it a combination between a google and a something else what's it what's it like on the inside look it's uh, it's it's great in the fact that we're sort of nearly 11 years old or are 11 years old and it still feels like we've only been going for a few months um mm. yeah i think with that sort of startup mentality not having the ability to never lose that makes it a really good culture because there's no such thing as red tapes there's you know decisions I think I shared with you before mm. we went on air about we opened a store in Chadston recently and it was an opportune experience to get the store in Chadston and, and sort of had a quick turnaround of three, four, five weeks to open the shop. And mm. you can imagine, I'm sure anyone working in retail, bricks and mortar retail would be shocked to hear that we opened up a shop in that sort of you know month, month and it's a half impressive. period. But um, that's the nature of catch is a decision gets made and we all put pull together and sort of make sure that it happens mm. and you know we, we we opened for trading late october and at chadston and mm. had a wonderful four months there's just recently closed at the end of january mm. um, a wonderful four months there but mm. i think that's a really good example that mm. sort of sums up that they're, they're not afraid to try ideas they're not afraid to do new things there's no um roadblocks in making quick decisions um and and i think that translates well and you know that's that's the nature i, I think again just resonating to the conversation we had before on air you know you sort of said are you wearing jeans and I think Mm. that Mm -hmm. relates a lot to our culture is when I started there having worked in professional Mm. services I I went in the chinos and shirt on the first day and I got home that night and I sort of said to my wife I said wow geez I was overdressed today (laughs) you know it took a slow process to come out of that whole uh you know, and now I think, as I said to you there, this is the first time I've worn pants yeah, this yeah. year. I've worn shorts every day, but but that sort of sums up, that, up for the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's a sort of uh, the experience, and I, I mean that in the context of that the office is extremely casual, relaxed, and and hand on heart, I can say this with absolute conviction: is that I've never seen a workplace have as great a flexibility and work life balance as what ours does. Yeah. You know, there's no. We don't ever have conversations about hours. We don't ever talk about you have to work 8.30 to 5. It's just 
an unwritten law that you get the job done, you know, and, and we'll monitor performance based on, mm. on good KPIs and good processes around that. And, mm. you know, that we're just really good on, on a very, very healthy, active work-life balance. Um, mm. And I love that we've got that right, definitely. Mm. And that's not from, I can't say I've been the creator of that because that was there since I started. So, mm. yeah, mm-hmm. it's fabulous for that regard. And what do you think that enables the business to maintain that culture of, it sounds like, innovation and speed and flexibility? How do you maintain that as a business gets bigger and bigger? 450 is not a small startup anymore, um, but how do you maintain that? Um, I think, look, we, I think it's just decluttering processes. I think that, that a lot of um, businesses, for use of a better word, sometimes over-engineer their processes mm-hmm. internally and that goes for HR as much as anything which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute but um, I think it's about de-engineering things and not having 15 steps to make a decision um, because if, if if I give feedback here if I hear of a new idea or something along those lines if I'm an employee in the business and three days later it's there you're going to think well this this place takes action without any roadblocks pretty quickly whether or not the decision was good or not that's to come out in the next process but you know, I think they're having that fluidity around, hey, I've got an idea, let's let's run with it, you know. And, and we just had a strategy off-site day last Friday, which is late January, um, and we spent the last hour and a half in a, in a blue sky space, we called it. What's some really crazy ideas that we could do for catch? And, and to be honest, we talked about it for five minutes, catch dating, you know. like <laughs> So that's the sort of environment where if you can create an environment where what can we do? What you know, mm-hmm. just that fluidity around. Mm-hmm. Let's just be out there, and, and mm-hmm. whatever happens, happens, and we'll run with it and learn from our mistakes, but never ever tell anybody off for their mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. and, it's, and that's a big part of the DNA as well as that. We'll, we'll be there for you if you make a mistake as well. You know, and we'll sort of guide you through why and how. And but we've got to try stuff. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the shop. It's it's all this other crazy stuff. So yeah. So where is the balance in that engineering over engineering in HR? Um, look, I, I think it's funny. I, over the last sort of three, four, five years, I've become quite passionate in this space. Um, and I've been lucky enough to speak at a couple of events, particularly on this subject as well, is that I always see... I grew up in an environment in HR, like at the bank and other places as well, where HR really was a police force, you know, and they're out there to enforce rules within the business. And you sort of get to the stage where you might go and stand in the kitchen as a HR practitioner and you're there with other functions and they don't want to talk to you because they're worried that they're going to do something wrong or, you know, you go to the Christmas party and you're the one that's standing in the corner with your HR team because everyone's worried, am I drinking too much? Am I doing this? You know, and you sort of start to reflect a little bit on that type of experience and you think, well, why are they like that? And I I must admit, having worked with a lot of different people, we just over-engineer things as HR practitioners and... You know, I remember um, years ago a guy, a very fabulous person I worked with at Bunnings, um, really sort of got my thinking in this space generated and sort of almost had an unwritten law that, that a position description and performance, anything in HR should never be more than one page because it just becomes confusing, you know. And a few weeks into that, hearing that, and here I am still to this day living that rule because... Right. It's just, you know, why do we spend so long on, on creating processes mm. that are hard for our customers to do? Mm. Um, it should be customers. Yeah, yeah. internal customers. customers. So, yeah. you know, I go to work every day. We've got 450-odd people that we're in charge of making their experience of coming to work and going home from work every day an amazing one. And I think from what you do every day in regards to 
the way that you help or the way that they the way that you make them in inverted commas deal with your team really depicts what they're going to think or feel or, or engage with your team and if you want to be a true business partner you want your partners or your customers to come to you rather than you have to seek them out and that that's where you sort of you know come into your own and so I'm a really big believer now definitely and and um, for a Gen X person to sort of be in that space is that I don't think HR is just agile enough in a lot of places, you know, and I think that I'd challenge a lot of HR teams to look at the structure of their team and say, we've got seven or eight people, but are we better off having six or seven and less processes, you know? And, mm. um, of course, the CFO and CEO are going to love that because you just cut salaries by a little bit. Yeah. But at the same time, are people creating work just for the sake of creating work, you know? And, sure. and, and I think... I, don't, I say this in a good context, all in a good context. I think that it's just about sitting back and saying, what are we doing every day that's making it hard for our customers to deal with us? You know, And I think back to local government days, I talk highly of it, but I can also talk about having a form just around making a change within employee conditions and having a manager fill out a two or three page form just about either changing the title of the position changing the salary you know and there's a bit of background that needs to go that sort of stuff and that took time of a manager you know it took 20 30 minutes they could have been sitting coaching or inspiring an employee or doing some work that progresses them in what their yeah their strategy is and do that 10 times a week and you've just cost that person four or five hours you Mm -hmm. know is where is it is it okay and environments have different contexts so you got to look at it this in regards to the environment that you're in but is it okay for them just to have sent an email saying, hey guys, we're changing this person's salary for sixty-five to 70000 because of X, Y, Z? Done. Mm. You know, and, and that's the way catch acts and catch operates and, and, and my previous role was the same. You know, you just, I, I don't say, because those processes are right for the right business. You know, if you need transparency around the way decisions are made, then you're going to need those things. But that's where I'm throwing a challenge out to anyone, the thousands of people listening, is that take a step back and think about it a little bit differently and, and think what is it that we do every day and how easy is it for our customers, our internal customers, to deal with us? Because I generally get a sense that there's just a lot of over-engineering happening. And I just, mm. you know, um, a good example is at catch.com.au is that we don't have a performance review process. Right? Mm-hmm. And... I think when I started, and so I've only changed my thinking in the last two years on this, so I think I was quite shocked because yeah. you're so used to as a HR yeah. practitioner, you've got to have a performance review, you've got to have measures yeah, in place about that. you cycle and you run the cycle but a couple of times a year. Here I am two and a half years later saying, you know what, if everybody's got good KPIs, a good understanding of their position, right, and a leader that's giving them feedback for two minutes every single day, you just don't need them, mm-hmm. you know, and then... I've all of a sudden turned a complete corner to say, I, I, again, I think that they serve a purpose in, in environments that need them, but I'm a big believer now I'm not sure about the performance review going forward mm-hmm. as a process, you know, because if I think back to the days that I did them, I'm going to self-evaluate. I walk in, the manager's, oh, gee, I've got, a, I've got a performance review in two hours. I better fill out a form about the last 12 months. We walk in, it's all very awkward. Mm. I present what I think I've done. It kind of gets dismissed because the manager's written what he thinks should be, or he or she thinks should be done, and you sit back and I rate you three out of five based on what I've thought about for the last two hours <laughs> over the last twelve months. Um, 
And I'm just being a you know yeah, sure. a, a absolute extreme example, but um, a good process is done regularly. And mm. you know, I just sort of think now it's like we hire, let's use coffee as you know, if we hire someone to make a hundred cups of coffee a, a year, um, if they make a hundred, great. You know, there's no real need to sort of look at what they're doing or question what they're doing. If they make 110, make sure you keep them because they're doing yeah, something yeah, right. Yeah. But if, they make, if they're only making 90, then that's when you've got to start asking question, what is it you're doing wrong or what is missing? Do you need further development? Do you need that sort of stuff? And yeah. if you're monitoring that each day rather than once a year, yeah. your performance review is actually happening without happening, so to speak, yeah. as well. But that's yeah. where the, the great thing about catch.com is I reckon about 80% of our people at work, they have KPIs. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and even HR, we've got mm-hmm. KPIs, and and I think that's a key thing now. Mm-hmm. I think that that almost should outweigh a performance review because that's what you you're reviewing a person based on that. Sure, and lots of organisations are at different points of that journey. There are really big businesses that, like Deloitte's of the world, who have gone through that process of trying to strip out the things that get in the way yep. of having good yep. performance conversations. Um, we had Sophie Conabare, one of the directors for Deloitte, come and present last year at a breakfast event and looking how do they do that on a global scale how do they do that in different business units and the complexity that goes with it um, and successfully making really significant changes to taking the the clunky bits out of the process or the stuff that gets in the way of a manager and employee having a discussion that drives performance so um, I think you know I'm wondering if in a startup organization or a smaller tech business with the agility that could be an easier ask um, I'm thinking much, much larger and complex businesses. Yep. They're, they're on that journey, <laughs> but it's um, it is a journey. Well, and that's difficult because culturally their DNA suggests this is a process we have and we do do it every year. And so, how do you turn the tap off instantly? It's yeah. very difficult yeah. from a change management yeah. perspective. Absolutely. But and I'm probably one of the lucky ones that's walked into environment that the tap was turned off. You know, yeah. and so I just had to change my thinking without even trying. It was forced upon me to say. Okay, you know what, there's no such thing as performance reviews here, we're not mm. going to have them and yeah. that's just yeah. your role now and, yeah. and maybe I've just <laughs> been inside the four walls too long or not because now I'm a believer. Yeah. You know, and I sort of think... <laughs> You've been converted. Yeah. What about having, um, what's your process for having really good conversations around people's careers rather yep. than being stuck in a role for a really long time? Is there a... Well, we have on the one pager mentality. We've introduced a thing called, pardon the pun, catch up, and Mm -hmm. so we we encourage our managers to have a catch up with their employees regularly. And um, the, the, for use of a better word, the form that that we created is only three questions. You know, what's the barriers from stopping you doing your job? Um, What do you see as some of the opportunities on the on the horizon for your role? And what development are you looking for? You know, so and it's we a just, simplification yeah, of the process. Yeah, and we just want those our managers and leaders to ask those three questions mm. as often as they possibly can. Mm. And if they do that regularly and well enough, you just don't need a review. And that goes back to the whole hundred cups of coffee scenario. Mm. You know, it's mm. you think about it from that. It's like, well, you only sold ninety this year, so what are your mm. barriers yeah. to to selling hundred? Because it might yeah. not be the person. It might be some a process that's sticking them up or, or something that they don't know or weren't trained effectively on. It's holding them back, you know, and so as long as our leaders are asking those three questions regularly, um, the process is self-completing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just been thinking about your your business. You would have a significant tech team. Yep. Tell me a little bit about what it's like managing tech talent, sourcing, recruiting, managing them, and what some of the um, challenges perhaps have been for Catch.com.au yeah. in, in that space. 
well, it's a competitive market. Uh, and, when yeah. I started, we were out in Mulgrave. Um, mm-hmm. Now, it's funny with tech because it seems if you're in Richmond, you're not getting talent, right? And right. so, <laughs> sorry, if you're not in Richmond, you're not getting mm-hmm. talent. And um, that's sort of almost become Melbourne's Silicon Valley mm-hmm. <laughs> is Richmond. But So Mulgrave was a tremendous... Um, challenge as a location for a start. Now we've recently moved into East Bentley which is a lot closer, it's near a train station thankfully so people can get public transport to work so Mm -hmm. that box was ticked as a change which was really good. Um, We used originally when we had Scoop on we used an older type of um, software um, and with Catch they were using PHP which most practitioners would use as well so now that we've only got that that's another tick as well. Um, so we've sort of made these slow transitional mm. things that have sort of started to build our team as being, I want to come and work there rather than where we're fighting talent really hard. And culturally, we've, we've recently just got two new leaders in the team over the last six months. Um, for the first time, no, not for the first time, sorry. I should say that, that we've got two very people-focused people in the team. They're not so much process driven so the head of product and our head of development um, are both very people orientated people which is unusual for tech but they're very cool to work for you know that one of the, the couple of things that they've come in since they've done is is made a change to focus how we're developing our people let's make this space a really cool space to work in let's start to do things that make it enjoyable and you can just pick up straight away and mm. that it's changed and I can proudly say our tech team has got one of the most, from a diversity perspective, one of the most diverse tech teams in, in Melbourne, if not Australia, because we're circa nearly 30 and we've got six females. Um, right. and, and that's another part of it that makes mm. that team fantastic mm. because there's actually a very good diversity. Um, mm. and, and I think coming to tech, like attracting talent, you've, we've ticked all of those boxes. So it's, it's cool to be able to have all of those things on your employee branding, right? But then you've still got the challenge of getting them to come work there. And I don't think, I think the traditional recruitment exercise of let's put an ad up on Seek and see what comes in is is very hard and challenging in tech. Yeah, of course you're gonna get some people through that process and you should still do that process. But I think that the game changer now is finding people that weren't looking for for a job you know, and trying to get them to be inspired about this is where our catch tech team's going, right? And that's why these two guys are so great is that they're really taking the team on a journey. Mm-hmm. And so we want to go out there and now and sell that journey. You know, we are talking yesterday with one of the, the head of development about let's genuinely make a video, about a one-minute video that sort of shows this is where the team's going. Like really inspire the customers yeah. that are outside the building to come work there. This is where the team's going. And... Mm-hmm. and we don't have a big push to offshoring everything. You know, we want to make sure we've got as much as possible in-house. Yes, we've naturally got an offshore team that can do our basic back-end processes, but you know, that's another part of what's good is it's very secure in that regard. And um, you know, and so I think from a tech perspective, an area I'm really keen to play on in 2019 is is starting to get our brand into a lot of these meetups a lot more. Um, there's a stack of tech meetups. I love meetups. You know, and a, it would be a challenge to get them to come out to East Bentley for, <laughs> for a meet-up. But if we have to host one in Richmond, then so be it. But if we can start to get our branding out there as being, hey, we're a team that's actually doing some really cool stuff yeah. in the product, user experience, and the development space. Yeah. 
And just doing that inadvertently through meetups, our brand starts to become a little bit more attractive, you know, and that's a big focus for our team in 2019 and me as well is to really push that that it becomes an attractive place to work mm. so that when they see the, the word catch in a LinkedIn stalk email or an ad or things like that, they sort of say, oh, I remember, I see that brand, I saw that, I, I remember that. It's not, it is a cool place to work. They're doing things. Mm. So... I think you just got to re-engineer the process a little bit to be rather than to become the hunted, you become the hunter. Absolutely, you know, and, that's, and that's where social sourcing yeah. is going, isn't it? It's yeah, about yeah, how definitely. do you, um, how do people identify with your um, employer brand like they do with your customer brand? So that, like you said, if they see it somewhere, that they have an instant link to, yeah, I've heard that technique. Yeah, that's amazing. right. They're doing this cool stuff. We're doing this cool stuff. Absolutely. But it is it's definitely being part of the community and. Um, you know, in our experience from a HR partner's point of view, so much of the sourcing we do is absolutely not from a CCAD. That's right. <laughs> that that's would right, be absolutely. our lowest and sourcing every, channel. Every one of the thousands of people listening would be the same. They're all hunters, you know, yeah. but tech's a different beast. They're v- a lot of tech people are very introverted, you know, and so yeah. they're not outwardly seeking no. what it is. You sort of really have to guide them through a process. And mm. speaking to one of the particular people over the last couple of weeks is that you know, maybe it's him that's reaching out to people to come and work here rather than HR because HR sort of almost gets lost in the white noise a little bit. Oh, another HR. Because you imagine how many of these great tech people getting HR requests for a chat yeah. every day. Yeah. But it's different if it's the, the head of development or the CTO that's reaching out to them, you know. So yeah. there's another little spin yeah. that we're working on. And being worth following would be the other thing to have a think about. If there's something that you're doing in the tech space that's interesting and yeah. you're promoting it and they're interested in it, from a tech perspective, then you're worth following. Absolutely. You're worth um, seeking out what are they doing now, what are they doing now yep. to create that brand. Yep. Um, and then they can um, connect with your brand in a different way definitely, than being reached out to by recruiter. Yeah, definitely. But the, ne- the, the, the challenge there is um, finding HR professionals who are clever at connecting with all yep. sorts of people yep. and building networks that feel less formal, networks being communities rather than a... Um, here's a network. So for us, there's there's two pieces. There's a, an HR network that uh, we've yep, built and yep. we absolutely love, and they're they're a massive part of our community. Um, but we're actually we are engaging with the community through things that the HR audience are interested in, which also creates a link to our business and our brand. Correct. So it's more about community engagement, which turns into a whole number of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I assume it would be the same. In yeah, the, totally, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that's an area we'll focus a lot on in 2019 and. It's, you know, a lot of our areas of our business, for use of a better word, are easier to recruit for. And, and one definitely area that's that's a challenge is, is around tech. So mm. we've got to be mindful of that in everything we do within the tech talent mm. space and making sure we keep the great ones um, yeah, and we attract to the even better ones as well, mm. you know. And it's great, like, to, you know, I'm proud of our diversity in that team. It's actually really cool. I've sort of visited a few other tech offices and, you know, they've got they've certainly got diversity, but I feel like it's amazing that we've got such mm. a really good diversity in our team. Good. And when sure. you find good people, you've got to hold on to them. Yes, we had <laughs> we had one particular um, female um, in the tech team that left and came back, and I always think that's yeah, a great example of of well, we're doing something all right yeah. because after a year they decided to come back. So. Sometimes the grass looks greener, but yeah, it's not. Yeah. Well, that's a good story too. I think yeah. from an alumni perspective, it's not a bad thing sometimes if people leave you, if you keep them connected to your business because you're just someone else is paying to train them that's and you bring right. them back with new <laughs> skills. So And you're spreading your story. Yeah. You've had a great brand and a great experience yep. there. Totally. They're all your brand um, ambassadors out there. 100%. Yeah. Brilliant. 
um, I'm thinking about there might be people listening having a think about their own career and the transition. Yep. So in wrap up, I've got two questions for you. One is around um, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about the sector change um, yep. and how they would go about it or how to choose whether perhaps the uh, public sector is or isn't for them? What would be a few things they need to think about? And then transitioning back into a tech space like you have, um, what would that look like? What would some challenges be there or some advice to think about? I think as HR practitioners, we're very, very, very lucky because we can pick our skills up and go into any, any industry. And the only thing you've really got to do when you move industry is read the award that's attached to that particular yeah. <laughs> industry because that's the starting point, right? So um, I think we're very, very lucky in that regard. you know. And, and look, I think you've got to think about th- there's probably four or five core areas to HR and... and it depends how far you want to go and what you want to do because, like I said before, ER and IR in private enterprise, you do. You do do it, you know, and work cover, you do do it. But mm-hmm. it comes up very infrequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I feel very confident in work cover. I feel very confident in, in workplace relations. I feel very confident in, in employee relations and that sort of stuff because I had that chance to work in the public sector. So... I think if you're a, a younger practitioner sort of trying to map out your career, I'd think about, well, what are the areas that I need to grow in and what sort of sector might suit that? Because, um, you know, if you want to sort of move into an L&D space, then maybe looking at businesses that have huge, like Bunnings is a good example, they have a wonderful L&D team. You know, maybe you're trying to find out what suits that particular skill set and what's the industry or, or area that's looking at for that. and. Um, you know, I think in a, in a workforce that's younger, that's changing jobs a lot, you do get that opportunity to actually pick up different skills as you go along. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing if you're changing role every few years because you're just picking up something else to go to the next one to, to sort of enhance that better. And I think people expect now that under 30s are only going to work a year or two in a role. So it's not a bad thing necessarily. But I think the key advice for me is to sit back and think, okay, out of the four or five HR buckets, which one do I want to fill up or which one's a little bit emptier? And then trying to work out, well, where's a sector or an environment that's going to help me do that, you know? And and it was almost by accident that I sort of went into local government and I look back now and say that that was probably one of the most rewarding roles from a learning perspective personally because, um, you know, to be able to, to sort of safely... You know, I'll give you a good example at catch.com though you've got a warehouse, as we said, that's it's got circa, circa nearly two hundred people in there. Now we've only got one safety dedicated person in there. I've naturally got health and safety reps, you've got safety committee, etc. But, you know, I'm sure there'd be a lot of people that would have two, maybe three, but because we've got a HR team that can support this safety person that has got the experience in that space, um, it, it's pretty straightforward we're lucky that we've got a very good, yeah, good safety good result in the warehouse but <laughs> at the same time it's you know and that's where I sort of go back to that point about saying I'm not saying everyone go and strip a person from your team but just be interested to look at your team a little bit differently and say where are we losing time and, and you know from that perspective that's a good example that we've got a wonderful H, uh, OHS rep in the warehouse I can support him very well with people in my team from having known safety inside out from having my own experience in that and um, so it creates a quite an efficient, unique mm. environment, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, that's probably the answer, long answer to your question. <laughs> Thank is you. I'd think back to sort of four or five buckets and think which one do I feel a little bit light on and which one do I think I need to fill up to progress my career. Yeah. Um, and that could be everything from recruitment, could be mm. from branding, which we talked about, 
I now know that Mars have an employee branding <laughs> dedicated person, which is wonderful. Um, so I think it's that sort of scenario. Yeah. So I'll just wrap up with one other question. Um, what does 2019 look like for you, Tim? What are some of the challenges ahead or what's on your plate for 2019 for Catch? Yeah, um, I think Catch is probably going to take a different turn this year. There's there's um, a lot of potential things happening there. It might move into the um, listing space. It might do a lot of other things. Um, we might diverse out to some other areas as well. So when you're in HR and you're sort of hearing or being involved in a little bit of these decisions, I think you need to be quite forefront in what you're making sure you're supporting the business for. And so actually trying to understand where those, some of those directions, which can be a challenge when decisions are made overnight. But um, sort of trying to keep sure you're abreast of all that and then working back through well, what is it that we need to do to support that particular change and, and um, you know like for a good example if we do list um, naturally a thing that becomes quite important and that is having a remuneration committee and actually having a good process around REM and things like that so to change the dial from a very good flexible mm. practice to an extremely structured flexi uh, unflexible practice around REM is going to be quite a challenge you know and yeah. so that'll be a, a, an interesting thing but I think for me our tech team's probably at the forefront of what we want to do our warehousing is is critical we're moving we're halfway through moving to a bigger warehouse right. um, okay. it's massive the new one it's extraordinary it's got this machine in it that's got 150 odd robots in it that can hold 75,000 SKUs and wow. by the stage that that being implemented will be shipping next day which no one in Australia can do so wow. that's fabulous um, so there's a big challenge because that needs to be staffed but technically that's a computer you know and so you need engineers yeah, that, that are fantastic so you know it's funny to think you need great tech talent in the warehouse but we do because mm -hmm. that's really what it's all about mm -hmm. so it's continuing that challenge around the war on talent in the tech space is going to be a big part of 2019 mm -hmm. and and making sure that, you know, again, if we become a public company, we don't become the over-engineers. We've got a wonderful DA, DNA, DNA around flexibility, around the way we do things, and, and trying to uphold that um, when we sort of have to change around a few areas is probably going to be a key challenge for me mm -hmm. as well. And, and personally, I think it's just about... I love and really enjoy um, working with great people and mentoring and helping them and getting the chance to do this sort of stuff is fabulous. So hopefully more of this in 2019 that I can <laughs> show my people to say stop being HR police people and start being good customer service agents. You know? Brilliant. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you are a very busy man and things move fast in your world, so I appreciate the time. So thank you, Anita. Us. Thank you. And um, thanks, Zach, who is not spoken yeah, in this. He's done a wonderful job in the background. <laughs> Brilliant. And the best dressed person I've seen in a podcast, has it? <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for listening to We Are HR, and we'll see you in the next episode. So what I noticed, um, Tim, is how comfortable you are on podcasts. I'd say that of the people that we've interviewed have been the most comfortable. Why is this? Why um, is this? You're going to embarrass me now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I've been lucky over the last sort of seven or eight years um, I guess a lot of people have a side hustle and a bit of my side hustle has been media in sport. Um, so I've done a lot of radio work, believe it or not. Uh -huh, and, um, uh -huh. I do believe it. Yeah. I've heard it now. Yes, yes. So <laughs> He's uh, going red, by the way. You can see <laughs> no, him. He's no, going no. red. Um, you know, and I think linking that to HR as well is that from a workforce perspective, um, we're going to have a generation that always has a high side hustle. And mm. I'm, I'm going to say this on unconfirmed I'm pretty sure it was one of the directors or even not the CEO at PwC recently said that 
we need to get our workforce, or we need to get our ways of thinking around this four-day work week because that's what everybody's going to be doing, you know. And mm. so that's really cool because that is genuinely going to start happening, you know. Mm. And, and I think I know Anita, you said you work yeah. four days a week. Um, yeah. We try and project that everybody's flexible, but. Mm. As in the HR space, I'd be getting prepared for. Mm. There's going to be a lot more people doing mm. it, you know. And 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 um, I'm I'm very lucky that my side hustle um, doesn't take hours and hours of work. It just takes a bit of reading and making sure you can talk crap for long enough <laughs> about that particular subject. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's a, it's going to be a big game changer. I mm. think that over this over the course of the period, that people are going to start going four, three, two Absolutely. days, and even from the flip side of that, the, these burst contract scenario that's starting to play out now is that I'm a tech company. We need someone to do a specific project in in tech or in BI or whatever it is. Let's hire someone for a burst. They come in four months and they leave. You know, and then they take two months off. Then they get the next burst Absolutely. contract. Then they get the next. So I think that's going to be another part mm. of what's going to happen mm. and. Pretty cool lifestyle. You get a couple is, of months off after is. a long, hard work. It is. I think the challenge is for organisations knowing how to manage that. So yeah, that's right. Businesses will say to us, yeah, we'll consider three days a week or four days a week, but they haven't really thought about how to manage that so that the employee isn't doing, like we've five mentioned days, before, five yeah. days in four or five days yeah. in three. Um, and there is that pressure. Um, you know, I've, I've done the four days for quite a few years now because I've had two children and it's really worked for me and also for David Owens at director of HR partners but that it's an evolving thing to to make it work um, and you know we talked about the next generation looking at side hustles everyone wants a thing that they're interested in on the side that they can do for a bit of cash on the side um, and you know how organizations are going to be flexible to do that eight years ago um, when I started here at HR partners and I was recruiting senior contractors anytime there was a part-time role 90% maybe 95% of the candidates were four-day week because of um, looking after children yep. so the, the driver was um, I'm a mom or I'm a dad and therefore I need this flexibility but what I saw in the following two three years when I came back from Matley after having Willow is it had changed it was I'd like part-time because I like part-time yeah, yeah I'd like a bit of balance I, I'd I like to go to the I'd beach like, for three days I just want four yeah, days yeah. I'd like a day to myself yeah. I would like to spend more time on my hobby whether it's photography or my side hustle or um and so that was a bit of a shift for customers would say, well, so why do they want four days a week? Yep, oh, just yep. because they do. I agree. Oh, and, yep. and there was a, a thinking shift. Is that okay? Why do they... Mm, um, are they motivated for the role? Are they not motivated? Are they going to do a good job? Are they not? Maybe they... Mm, there was there was an uncertainty. But in the last two years, it's becoming more normal. That, Absolutely. That organisations yep. yeah, okay, so he wants four days or she wants four days. Okay, it's... it's the questioning around the motivation isn't as intense because it's getting yeah, more think, and more popular. I think the person that's out there that's listening about thinking going to four days is you've got the chance to sit there and look at what your resourcing in your team is to support that as well. And, yeah. and then I think you'll often find you'll walk out of that experience. I've worked with someone recently on this and, and we sort of cut sixty or 70000 from their salary budget but actually produced more because mm. the way that we just t- changed the structure of yeah. the team a little bit, you know. And so... Yeah. I think it often can be win-win. It can be good for the bottom line as well as it can Absolutely. be for the person. And, you know, I think I think embrace side hustles as a business because as long as you go back to that that scenario that they're not affecting their work performance because yes. that's critical. Yeah. But um, it makes a person happy, you know, yes. and in their life they're, they're complete because yeah. they've got a hobby or whatever interest they're doing out of work. You know, and that fits mm. that categorically now fits into work-life balance is, is mm. supporting people to have... 
anything from playing golf once an afternoon a week to looking after children to mm-hmm. doing photography, as you said, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whatever it is, I think generally mm-hmm. be embracing it because mm-hmm. it's going to continue to get bigger and bigger and more popular. And, and I think on the same scale, it's about you're going to have these really engaged, complete people because they're like, wow, this place works, looks after me enough to be able to do this. I'm yes. going to give double back. Yes. Yep. And, and productivity has been proven to show that Absolutely. just because they're part-time doesn't mean that they're giving um, less to their role. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's an interesting space to keep watching, I think, particularly with this next generation who would really love two days two days here and three days there or yep. two days and two days and one day to myself. And they're early in their career and the driver isn't always money either, which um, in previous generations, it's, you know, if you stack rank what people's drivers are right back to even the Maslow's hierarchy, there's that's changing um, yep. to what people want 100%. now for this next generation. And I'm sure that will tech, impact you in the tech space too. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think that'll be more so because I'm sure most um, tech people and developers in particular, they're working on a website on the side, yeah. they're doing this on the yeah. side because that's what they do at night. Like yeah. they just love coding, they love building, they love, mm. you know, they're almost sciences, scientists of the computer. So, mm. you know, it's, it's when I had like a laugh now when I started to catch that, which is very rare to see any of the tech team in there before 10 or 11 o'clock, you yeah. know, but because they're usually up late at night mm. doing their thing and, and so embrace it, you mm. know, because they're still going to produce what you need to and mm. that's just what they love doing. 